Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Shalene Johnson. Uh, Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author of multiple books, including her uh, most recent book called The 131 Method. Uh, she's a top health podcaster. You may have seen uh, or listened to her podcast you may have seen her on social. I love your post, by the way. <laughs> um, her podcast has over 20 million downloads. Unbelievable. Um, and she's got fitness programs. Maybe you've seen those as well. They've been on TV for, for 12 plus years with millions of programs sold. She's written multiple books. And we're going to talk about a couple things today. Uh, number one, writing a book with ADHD. We've never talked about it. Mm. I have ADHD. Uh, you know, a lot of you have heard my story of C-level English student, college dropout, Okay, least likely to write a book. <laughs> and so we'll talk about that. And then, and then maybe we'll even have time to get into, you know, using a book to grow your business, all that fun stuff. Uh, but we'll, we'll see where it takes us. Awesome. Here. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to clarify, because I, I was like, oh, I should let that slide. Uh, I have one book that made New York Times bestseller. Both of them did. Right. One, one did, yes. which is cool. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, the, the podcast now we're, now we're at 70 million, like not that I'm counting, oh my gosh. but I've also been doing it a really, really long time. So don't get too excited. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, why, why books? I mean, you've got why multiple books. books. Why, why write them? Why are they a part of your business? Yeah, well, so for me, the first time I wrote the book, um, it was a way for me to differentiate and to, to almost show people who I really am and what was really important to me. At the time, I was well known for fitness, and, and that was kind of the, the entrepreneurial pursuit. That, that particular pursuit is what helped me to become known, although I'd been an entrepreneur and doing a lot of different things long before that. And so when fitness became the thing that took off, I was like, but wait, this isn't like what I wanted to do or be known for. It's just kind of was the one business that really exploded. And uh, so I, I was speaking to my agent and I said, I, I really want to help people start a business. I want to help people with personal development. And he said, you, you can't do that. And I said, well, I want to write a book about uh, personal development and uh, goal setting. And he said, well, you, you can write a fitness book, but you can't write one on personal development because nobody knows you for that. So I took a year to transition my audience to help them not see me as a fitness person per se, uh, but more so someone who helps people accomplish their goals. And um, so the first book that was kind of like, for me, it was like kind of letting people know, because I, I didn't have an infomercial to get out to help people understand what it is I did um, in personal development. So it was a way to like, tell the world what was important to me. The second book was more of a business decision. And so talk to me about the difference in those two. Yeah. Second book, I really want to write. Um, I had a a very, very expensive, and I suggest everybody get a business coach, 
But you know, when, when you pay a business coach a lot of money and they tell you to do something, I'm one of those people, I'm coachable and you're the expert. So I'm going to do what you've told me to do. And she just, we really kind of like butted heads. I'm like, I don't want to write a book about this. I just don't want to do that. And uh, it was her belief at the time that that's really what the movement for this nutrition slash habit program that we developed, what it needed uh, to catapult it and kind of based on other um, similar type businesses and what we had in in mind for the brand globally, she said, it, it just, it needs a book. It needs, that's, what's going to give you the PR, et cetera. And so I kind of reluctant, reluctantly agreed to write that book and it ended up being um, a very different process in the, from what we set out for it to be. And talk to me about that. Cause I like that you said the first book was, okay, planting my flag on an idea. And then the yeah. second book was a business decision tied in with kind of a program that you have and all that. How did that, you said the, the writing process was different or the process as a whole. How was the process different? And I guess looking back, which one was more fun and which one was more profitable? Hmm, that's, that's a good question. Okay, so I would definitely say that my first book was more profitable and not just because of units sold. I actually had... Um, a a much better deal the second time around, almost a kind of almost a self-publishing hybrid um, that I did with Hay House. Um, the first book I signed with Rod Rodell, Rodell, yeah. And um, that book, although my deal wasn't as good, that ended up being a better moneymaker for us because it became the um, catalyst for journals. It became the catalyst for programs. Uh, we pre-sold the book and in doing so gave people like an online course that we later upsold them to a, a higher priced online course. So we just, we had a, a lot better business model around that book. Um, the second book that went through on method, uh, that book, we, even though we had a better deal, we didn't have the same kind of system set up around it in terms of writing them. The second book, I said, it was so painful to write the first one because I'm not a writer, you know, and, and with ADHD and it's so hard to focus and all of the things. So the first book was like kind of painful to write. And I didn't want to go through that process again at the time that it was suggested I write the one through one method. I'm like, there's too much going on. I can't do it. And I'm really good about knowing like there's, I need, I know exactly what I can handle on my plate. And I said, I, I can't, I can't handle that being on my plate right now. So we set up the system where I would use a ghostwriter. And I wouldn't, it was a, a book about nutrition and habits, et cetera, but it also had a component of um, recipes. So I said, we'll outsource all, all of the recipes, all of the recipes, all the photography for all the recipes, everything, the testing, et cetera. And we'll, I'll use a ghostwriter. And that just didn't work for me. The, all the, the, um, the recipes, et cetera, did, that turned out beautiful is the best part of the book, but using a ghostwriter for that book just was, it was cumbersome, expensive, painful, and it, it didn't work. And I think in other circumstances it might have, but for this particular book, it just did not work. And how so, I, I've heard so many people say mm. that exact same thing. It's really? Like this, oh yeah, oh yeah. Is I, I contracted with a ghostwriter and I'm thinking, all right, this is gonna be amazing. I'm gonna throw money at the problem. And then a year later, I get back the manuscript, six months later, whatever it's not that great. And then I have to scrap it and then just go do what I was putting off to begin with, yeah. which is actually writing the book. So 
in what ways did it didn't did it not work? How did you pivot from there? I mean, did you end up having to write the whole book or what? Yes, like? from yes, all the way through. But and that was okay. I mean, it is what it is. The painful piece was that I'd hired a ghost writer, the a really really high end. I said, listen, we're we're not going to skimp if we're going to have somebody ghost write this. I want them to take my words, my language, and assemble it in this order and we'll give them the outline and they'll just take all, cause I'd done tons and tons of, the book was basically already existed in video form. So I thought this could, is, we just take the transcripts and then she'll zhuzh it up and we'll just pay the best person in town or on the planet uh, to do this. Who's actually done this type of book. And um, the first like couple of chapters I got back, I was like, oh, this is so, 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 so far off. I don't even know where to start. It's like, are these from my transcripts? Um, and so that was the first step. And then just kind of like trying over and over and over phone calls after phone calls, after Zooms, after rewrites, after, and finally just realizing like, um, okay, this is just an expensive mistake, you know, cause she'd put in the work and the time, but it wasn't even close. And then I thought, this is actually gonna be a lot faster if I just sit down and write it. And that's the process. It certainly wasn't that easy, but it was that simple. Yeah. Simple, not easy. I like the distinction. So you said, just sit down and write it. And this is where I think we can get into the ADHD part. Like as someone with ADHD, how do you do that? Is there anything that you learn? How do you feel like the, I mean, there's so many, so many routes we can take here, but what did the process look like? Gosh, it was horrible. It was really, really, you know, I, I told people, the, the, if you want to do something horrible for your health, write a health book, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because of my mental health and my physical health, like really suffered during that time. I'm not going to lie. I, um, hated the process because I couldn't develop. I just, I'm not going to lie and tell you, you know, by the end of the book, I'd figured out a process. I never did. I struggled every single day and I would listen to podcasts on how to structure your time and how to, I bought programs. I, I kept trying to find something that would give me that consistency. And I just never discovered it. So the whole process of writing the book was painful, but the silver lining in it was that it felt a little bit like therapy. And there are these moments as a writer where you're, you're reworking and reworking and reworking a sentence or an idea in a paragraph that you've, you've said it a million times, but when it's on paper, it just doesn't feel the same. And you just keep work, reworking it, reworking it. And suddenly you're like, did I just come up with that? Oh my gosh, this is going to be so easy for people to understand. I can't believe that just came out of my brain four hours later. And, and so those things really helped me to create a better program. And the book, I think it stands the test of time. Um, and I'm just so happy that it was from start to finish my voice. And I don't know that I would ever use for me a ghostwriter again. I'm just too picky. Same. Yeah. Every word Same. matters. Like I would I would yeah. say, oh, I would I would never use the that word, even though it wouldn't matter to anyone else. But I just know I would never say that word. It's not your voice. Now I love that you, you spoke on the crystallization of ideas. That is, I think that's one of the beautiful things about writing a book on something. Yes. Is it, so it forces you to crystallize your thoughts into into uh, into a cohesive thing that kind of like you said, as we always I always joke that it's free therapy <laughs> because it's 
you're, you're feeling like, all right, I'm going to, I'm, I'm putting this in a written word. (laughs) And so if I'm putting it in the written word, I got to know that I think this Mm. and, and how I think it and how I want to say it and all that stuff. And so that's just, it's cool to hear your experience on that. And it really was, um, you know, therapeutic. Like I think the, the part of the book, I don't know if there's any studies done on this, but I assume that most people skip introductions, but the introduction to me, I, I tried to write the book thinking about how do most people read a book? And I know for me, um, I will read usually like the first three or four chapters. And then I will tell people I've read the book. Mm. <laughs> so I know I'm like, I'm like, I got to get all of the good stuff in those first yeah. three or four chapters. Cause everyone's going to say they've read the book mm. based on those first couple of chapters. And, and so I kept thinking about that. Like I got to go heavy, heavy in the front so that people, even if they make it through the first chapter, they kind of can regurgitate the concept um, mm. that and the inter- the introduction ended up like being forced to write that introduction helped me to go like oh wow this is why all of this this all makes sense to me now like it really was therapeutic yeah now you, you talked about how there wasn't really kind of a, a cohesive or there wasn't really a process per se right it, what did it look like I mean yeah. and, and 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 kind of back because I know this is something that you're super passionate about. I've seen you posting a lot about is, is life with ADHD. Like, yes. so how did you fit around that? Or how did you adapt yes. your style? Was it short spurts? Was it? Yeah. Okay. Thank you like, for asking that. Because like? it, it is very different for each and every person. But I think if you're easily distracted, um, even if you don't have an ADHD formal diagnosis, mine came at age 45. It's part of the reason why I wrote the book, um, realizing how much I could change my ability to think clearly and to focus and to feel more empowered and in control of my focus by using lifestyle modifications. You know, I I didn't know, and I I didn't know how much my diet affected my cognition. And so that part of it in the beginning, I just would try to go to the office and write, or I would just try to write wherever I was normally doing work and, and realizing like, this isn't, I'm not even getting a paragraph done. Um, that's not going to work. So eventually I had to honor the way my focus works, which means there's a certain time of day where I, I feel hyper-focused, where I can be like deep in thought. And when I'm in that mode, I, it is my responsibility to create an environment and boundaries that allow me to stay uninterrupted and without any distraction and to recognize my own um, Achilles heel. You know, like if I can hear a voice in the other room, I'm going to wander in there to figure out like what they're talking about. If I can hear music, my voice starts in my head, I'm hearing the lyrics and I'm thinking about the lyrics and I stop writing. If there's tabs open, I, you know, I'm at, you know, Amazon, whatever. So literally I would have to make sure I wasn't connected to the internet and that there was nobody around me. It was complete silence and it was the right time of the day. And that meant, and I had to do that because we were so far behind because of the, you know, ghostwriting decisions I'd made. We were so far behind that I was really under the gun and I had to make that deadline. Um, so i decided to basically step away from my business. So those, you know, five hours every day that I was working on my business, I had to, to just step away. I didn't see any of my employees, maybe um, I shouldn't say employees, my team, like maybe once a month. Uh, So if I'm being really honest, it had a detrimental effect on our business. It had a 
pretty gnarly impact on like my mental health. Um, I didn't enjoy it. I really just, but I, I'm happy with the final product. And I, if I, when I write another book, which I will, I just learned so many things I did the wrong way with this one. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. In the process. Yeah, well, it sounds like you, but it sounds like in the process of that, you discovered some things that work for you. Absolutely. Yes. Which I really, I mean, I resonate with all those things about the environment, the type of day, the voice, no voices, the internet off, the, all those things. Cause it's just, you can just spiral off. And it's like, they say, and it's like, you know, when a writer's on a deadline, cause that's when they're on social media. (laughs) That's so funny. The most most uncomfortable thing to do is to write. So it's our our brains, especially I I feel like with ADHD, our our brains will do anything but write or they want to do, cause it's uncomfortable. Right? Yeah. So, you, so your your brain just kind of bounces around. Did you do any music? Did you, was it no words music? It was just totally silent. Yeah, there um, headphones. there's some like binary sounds that I would sometimes play if I was really struggling mm-hmm. to focus, or to, more so to block out noise. Like there are certain mm-hmm. occasions where I was working from my home office, and there might be other people in my home, and so I would wear headphones and play uh, a binary soundtrack that didn't have any. Mm-hmm any lyrics to it. Also a really key thing for me um, is in order to get in that mode, right? To be excited about it, to be, to feel creative, not just like it's scheduled at 11. So I must sit down and write. I um, gave myself these windows and it always started with what I know is the right process for me to get into that mode, which is play. I have, I have to be physical. I have to make people laugh. And I have to be mm. able to play and goof around and do something creative before to help me get into that super focused creative mode. So I would um, roller skate. I would uh, go on Instagram live and I would try to make people laugh. I would goof around. Like, so the first half of my day was kind of for me, I should say first half of the day, my mornings were designed to help me get into that mode. What, any tips for people who are, cause you've discovered that that's your trigger. That's your yeah. thing that gets you into that mode. Any tips for people who are trying to discover what that is for them? Yeah. You've got to, you've got to keep a journal because there are days where you're like, dang, that, that felt so good. Like I just literally was on a writer's high or on a, you know, a project high where you're just like, you're just flying through things. Ideas are coming to you so fast and you feel creative and you, you lose all track of time. When that happens, take note of everything. How did you sleep the night before? Did you exercise before that? Were you eating? Were you not eating? Like what was going on in the environment? What led up to that feeling so that you can do your best to recreate it? And um, I, I think most people will find that there is a, a process. There are these common things that keep popping up and you're like, Oh, you know what it, what I'm noticing is that I'm always, I've always, always went roller skating in that 
when I get into that mode or I, I, I did a really intense hit workout or it was on the days that I did yoga. So I think it is important. And I do believe, especially for those of us who have a difficult time focusing, um, it's not that I believe, I mean, I, I know now that there's so much to thinking about how you can create more brain drive neurotropic factor in your own brain, like allowing those synapses to connect faster, uh, allowing your brain to recall information, to process quicker. You need that to be a great writer, uh, to be a writer, to, to write any book. And that is so, that's something we all have the ability to create. And we do create, especially when we exercise, but the interesting science behind this now we're learning is it's especially true for any exercises where you're focused on lower body. So leg day, before oh, right. that big chunk of writing that you've got to finish. And so is that, is, is that the, so I guess that relates to the rollerblading, but is that, is there anything, cause I don't fully understand that concept. Yeah. Is there anything else that you do to kind of turn your brain on in that way? I just feel, I, I feel those things happening in my brain. Um, you know, people talk about brain fog or not being able to focus or, you know, ideas are kind of like everywhere. If, if I personally can't exercise, I have a difficult time focusing. I have a difficult time, a tougher time, you know, and to the average person, it, you wouldn't notice. But for me, I just find I have to work so much harder to keep my brain on track. And um, exercise, we, it's just a, it's a remarkable thing how, how closely connected it is to our brain and the synapses and the way that things connect and fire and process. And um, right now my, uh, my husband and I are caring for my father-in-law who has Alzheimer's. So I'm like deep into Alzheimer's research right now. And just looking at uh, like every day on the news, we're hearing about some new drug company who's quote unquote found a miracle uh, cure for Alzheimer's, which you know, if you look at it, it's like, oh, it kind of helps with early onset and it, it's really no miracle. But the things that are a miracle, you'll never hear on the news, like the Harvard study that found walking just 25 minutes a day reduces your chances of Alzheimer's by almost 30%, 25 minutes a day. So that tells us that there's something very powerful about mm -hmm. exercise and the way our brain, we were meant to move. And so I think for anyone who has a difficult time focusing, move, you know, and, and these writers that can spend like four hours at a time, God bless them. That's great. I, I couldn't do that. I, I could go for about an hour and a half max for mm -hmm. me. And then I need to do something physical again in order yeah. to get back into that flow state. Got it. Did you ever do stand up desk? Treadmill yeah. desk oh, yeah. or anything like that while I writing? I, I couldn't do the, um, the, the treadmill desk didn't work for me, but yeah. um, I have a Peloton and I have this, I wish I could give you the spin tray. So if you want to look it up mm -hmm. on Instagram, because I think almost everyone has a Peloton now, there's an account called at spin tray. And it's this dude who it's not endorsed by Peloton, but he's created like an adapter that allows your Peloton um, uh, handlebars to move back. And then he's built a tray on top of that sits on top of the handlebars. That's perfectly ergonomically designed for you to type and pedal. And that for me was also a, a godsend, you know, cause you just feel like when you're just sitting there writing about your, <laughs> I'm writing about exercise. I'm writing about being healthy <laughs> and I'm feeling like I got to move my legs. Yeah. So you, you were riding your Peloton 
while writing your book? Not like, you know, I'm trying to win the Tour de France, <laughs> but like just to keep like my heart rate up. And yeah, yeah. sometimes I would, you know, get a good sweat because it's like, okay, I've got another hour. I can't just sit here. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I use it. Now I use it for returning my emails. I use it whenever I've got it. Again, something where it's like, okay, this will keep me here and focused. Hmm. Um, it really works. I think that's another yeah. great tip for me. If I really need to get focused, I, I'm not pedaling for a workout, but yet I am getting activity in. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting because it's similar to it, you're, you're keeping another part of your brain busy so that you can focus, which yeah. this is what I've heard with, you know, listening to audiobooks on two X feed or something is that sometimes it actually helps with retention because it's fat. Your brain can comprehend whatever it is. 200 something words a minute. And most audiobooks are at 130 words a minute. So actually speeding it up keeps your brain from being distracted. That's so interesting. Way. I hadn't heard that, but that makes sense why I do like to listen to audios faster because if the person's yeah. a slow speaker, I might start daydreaming. <laughs> yes. And in, in the same way of maybe you're like me, where it's just when I'm driving and listening to an audiobook, I, my retention will actually be better oh, than yeah. if I'm, you know, going around the house and doing stuff because then that takes brain space but not so much that I can't focus on what's actually being said, that sort of thing. 1000%. So, I mean, it's so cool seeing the intersection of obviously uh, some of what your books are about and your, your, your background and that sort of thing in health and fitness overlapping with helping you write better. We've talked about the exercise piece, anything that you found on the diet piece that helped with either brain fog or, or, or focus or concentration as it relates to your writing? Yes, but I didn't apply any of that. I'm not going to lie and tell you, like, literally, I wasn't taking my own advice. I, I was, my diet got worse while I was writing because it was like stress. I've got to get this book done. And I, I just know so many authors. I don't want this to be like a cautionary tale, but I've heard from so many authors who are like, oh, you know, I had this flare up and um, I threw out my back and I wasn't doing anything. And it's like a super fit, you know, motivational speaker. Um, so, but I, I will say this, um, the one thing I learned and, and set boundaries for myself very early on is I wasn't going to do any all-nighters, you know, cause that's something I did in college. I think a lot of us work best under pressure. So we're like, I'll just do an all-nighter and I'll get like eight hours done. And I, I just told myself for this book, I'm not going to do that because it will truly compromise my ability, my quality. And you have to understand like the damage that does to your brain to be sleep deprived. And many authors will do that. They will work late into the night because that's when it's finally quiet, you know, or, or maybe for a lot of us, you're writing and also trying to maintain a business, you know, and I made that decision. I'm just like, I could do this at night and still keep my businesses running, but I, I made a decision that my, my health, especially my brain health was more important at that time than, um, you know, making sure that we got ahead that last quarter of the year. So I, I would caution people from doing that because that kind of damage to your brain will come back to haunt you later. For sure. Were, were you ever prescribed Adderall or Ritalin or did you take any while you were writing? Like, yeah. if so did it help? Yeah, yes, all of the above. So when I was um, diagnosed at age 45, uh, I, I, um, at that time I was on a medication. I can't think of the name of it for narcolepsy, uh, because, uh, they thought I must be narcoleptic, uh, narcoleptic because I could 
you know, be in my car. And if I was sitting at a light for like 30 seconds, I could fall asleep. And it wasn't narcolepsy. If we'd done a little further investigating, we would just find I was just super sleep deprived. So once we figured out that it was ADHD, got off that medication, um, I worked with the Amen Clinic, who their primary goal is to get people off medication. But there are two different types. Um, the Amen Clinic believes that there are seven different types. They've done more brain scans than anybody. So um, it's difficult to criticize them or, or to find fault, but they've done more brain scans than, than any other organization or clinic in the world, especially with those who have uh, traumatic brain injuries, ADHD. And they believe there are seven different types of ADHD. Certain types, when they are taking Adderall or Ritalin or another quote unquote ADHD medication, they'll find that it makes them anxious or nervous or um, it depletes their creativity. And for some people, it actually makes them um, obsessive and uh, riddled with anxiety. But there are two different types of ADHD that tend to benefit from um, Adderall. And one of those is the type of ADHD that I have. So they put me on a low dose of Adderall. And I, me personally, I, don't, I haven't had any side effects. I've never had to titrate up, but I feel a huge difference when I don't take it. And I also learned how to change my lifestyle. And that made probably, I would assume a bigger difference than anything. So like whenever people say to me, like, should I get a medication? I'm like, sure, maybe, but do all the lifestyle stuff first, like figure out your sleep, um, understand what supplements you need to be taking. Cause there's so many supplements that actually help our brain to connect those synapses. For example, BDNF is something we should produce naturally, but many of us don't. So you can take a supplement that increase and boosts those things that we should produce naturally. Having your hormones checked, you know, so many people when their uh, progesterone levels are low or testosterone levels are low or estrogen is high, like you, it just messes with your brain's ability to make sense of things and focus. And that's why you hear so many people saying I've got brain fog. This is so great. It's, it's, I'm sure you you feel this way when you start diving into this research and when you hear other people talking about it. And I'm, I'm my hope is that this is what the way that people are feeling when they're listening to this or watching this is it fit, feeling of validation of mm. even for me personally, just hearing what you're saying is like, oh man, that's so similar to my experience. I can fall asleep very easily. Mm. I, I wonder if that's tied to ADHD or maybe also being tied to high energy levels mm. and so it's like I take a nap every day but then th then there's also I was hearing you explain Adderall and and I was on Adderall for two years in college um, and I was you know self-prescribed or um, diagnosed growing up of like by every teacher I ever had like that kid has ADHD <laughs> right which yeah. I think I think can be dangerous to speak into your kids' lives. Are you right? <laughs> but, but 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 then you know at some point go to a doctor and say yes you have it and then Adderall. But then what I noticed is that Adderall really helped me focus and it was really it was really helpful. I'm glad I was on it and I'm also glad that I am off it now. But almost had an inverse effect specifically with writing and maybe, mm, maybe yeah. the types of because it would. And so I would actually, I would go in the library and pull an all-nighter working on a paper and it would be write a couple sentences. Oh, that's stupid. Do, 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 delete. Mm. A couple more sentences. That's dumb. Do, 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 delete. And, and repeat, repeat, repeat. And then it, it wouldn't be until the Adderall was wearing off that I could actually write the paper. Yeah. Whereas other things, it would be 
you know, I, it's like, oh, this is going to help me study math. And then I'm just super focused. And then I go take the math test or whatever. Right. But it was, it was interesting how it almost acted differently depending on yes. what I was doing and inverse effect for me personally with writing. Well, because I talk so much about ADHD, try and, you know, normalize it as much as possible. Um, I've got this great community where we share these kinds of things. And I can't even tell you how many people I've heard. Um, they, they've just believed, okay, well, Adderall is going to be my solution or something similar. Right. And they get on it and it makes, they um, felt like they had to keep upping their dosage. They felt addicted to it. They felt um, hyper jittery, shaky. They lost their appetite and they lost their creativity but they're also afraid to get off of it. And I found yeah. so many people are like, I, I was afraid to get off of it. But then once they figured out like, oh, there's some, there's supplements that I can take that make a huge difference. And the things that I'm doing with, um, you know, calming my mind and that it was actually exacerbating their symptoms, changing them. And so it's, it's interesting how it affects all of us differently. Yeah. It is interesting. I feel like in a lot of ways, it trains your brain. At least that was my experience where it was, you know, obviously the science behind it is, you know, you're flushing your dopamine, which depending on what you're using, right? With Adderall, it's this, and I was, the doctor put me on a high dose. And so it's flushing your dopamine, which there's question marks around, okay, over a long enough time period, what does that do to you? And yeah. But, but, but then I, I resonate to what you're saying, which is it would, it would zap create. I feel like I was less of me yep. when I was on it. And yeah. I, to the point where, and maybe you can relate to this. I would see people, you know, I'm walking at college and I would see someone and my natural personality is, Hey, oh my gosh, good to see you. Let's talk. But on Adderall, I was like, oh, 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 I hope they don't see me. I've got stuff to do kind of bypassing yeah. and, and then all that. But then the flip side, which I think is, is interesting. And this is, you know, I've got this video on why I think ADHD is a superpower and all this stuff. And my controversial or maybe not controversial opinion, I don't know, is I, like, I think a lot of people with ADHD should take Adderall for a year or two. But then for me, it was like, I need to get off this. Mm. But I felt like it retrained my brain in a way where it was like, there was, there was this new level of possibility. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. it, it retrained at a higher ceiling. And now I'm like, all right, I have the lifelong benefits of this but I'm not using it, but now they added creativity of being off of it. Yeah. So my, my theory is that I feel like it was a blessing that I didn't get a diagnosis. My, first mm. of all, my father got his diagnosis at age 73. Um, and like a year after mine, cause once I got my diagnosis, I'm like, Oh, I have to see my dad's brain. Cause we are the same person. <laughs> and, uh, so it was very interesting to see his brain, yeah. but I feel like it was a blessing that I was not diagnosed. Um, for most of my life, because it forced me, although I was trying to hide it and compensate for it, like those were really valuable lessons and tools and habits and little systems I had to put in place that it was the only way I was going to survive. You know what I mean? It was the only way I was going to be successful. It was the only way I was going to make things happen was to have these weird, crazy, bizarre um, ha habits and rituals and ways of doing things. But if I I wonder if I, if I'd been diagnosed, would I have not been afraid and, and just asked other people to compensate for me mm. versus me figuring out how to manage it myself. So mm. I don't know. And I, I don't know if everyone needs to be on it, but I it just think about it. Our brains are so temperamental. Like 
so to think that two people who have ADHD, it's going to be exactly the same. You know, we have different traumas and we're raised by different parents and there's different genetics in our brain. And um, every time you've bumped your head or have had a concussion, your environment, like so many things impact our brains mm. so that we're all going to be so different. Yeah, this is so great. Well, hey, what would be your kind of parting piece of advice for other folks with ADHD? Writing a book, running a business, kind of based on your experience. I would say to anyone who has ADHD, um, you've got to have a better system in place than I had. And most importantly, I think personally, it takes us longer time to do things. It takes me longer to do everything that I do takes longer than my friends who don't have ADHD. And um, so, so I might move slower in my career. I might move slower in writing my book. I might need um, a more realistic deadline because it never feels good to disappoint people. It, that sucks. And it never feels good to feel like you're less than or inept. So I, my parting words of wisdom would be to give yourself a lot more buffer and a lot more room so that you feel good about the process and you don't feel like you're constantly chasing or behind or you're disappointing anyone. That's so great. Shalene, this has been awesome. Where can people go uh, to find out more about you, to buy your books, check out the podcast and more about what you're up That's to? Awesome. Yeah. The podcast, um, you can listen to the Shalene show. That is a kind of lifestyle show. We talk about everything from hormones to parenting and relationships and build your tribe is my business podcast. Um, but I'm probably most active on Instagram. So stop by and say, hello, let me know you listened and, uh, Say hello in my DM so we can connect. Awesome. Shalene, thank you so much. It's been my honor. Thank you. Super fun conversation. I look forward to hearing it. Yeah. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you can be listening to, YouTube channels that you can be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode all right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right. Reviews are super important and help this podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that. I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right. All you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step. So how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.